And if you want to grab a Bible, you can turn it with me to Psalm 46. You can find that on page 471. I'm going to read it to you, and if you'd like to follow along, Psalm 46 is our text for today. It says this, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear when the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter, he utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes war cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And this is God's word. Maybe you know that these words you just heard were the inspiration for the hymn that Martin Luther wrote, the one that we just sang a few moments ago, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And the myth that's grown up around the hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, goes something like this. That it was about 1521 that Luther wrote those words. He appeared at the Diet of Worms, which is a religious council with legal implications, and he was asked by the Catholic Church to take back, to recount the teaching about the gospel of grace that we find all over the New Testament, especially in the letters of Paul and the gospel themselves, too. He refused to do so, and he was whisked away by his friends to Wartburg Castle, and it's there that he hid for a number of years, and it was there that he wrote the hymn, and there that he translated the New Testament from Greek into German, the language of the people. Like you do with your spare time, you know? <laughs> That's the myth. That's not the real story. I'll tell you that in a minute. But still today, for us, these words of Psalm 46 are a comfort for us to know that when the earth gives way, and then when the foundations around us seem to crumble, what seemed to be wrong is now right, and what seemed to be right is now wrong. That when the institutions that we thought we could trust and the people who lead them we can't depend on anymore, that in the midst of war far away, that there is one when things change, who does not change. I think I've read Psalm 46 more often than any other psalm in my life. I've read it with some of you in hospital rooms and at deathbeds and at gravesides because it's a comfort to know that when our lives are shaken and that when things happen outside of our control, that God is our refuge 
and strength and that in him we can be still. Here's what I'd like to do together. Two things that we find in this psalm that give us a third thing. First is the power of God. We're gonna see that in just a moment. Second, the presence of God. That together, not on their own alone, but together can give you today the peace of God. So I hope you have your Bible open and I hope you have a pen. You've got a place to take notes because we're gonna learn some Hebrew today, my friends. Let's start with the power of God in Psalm 46, verse one. If you got your Bible open, you heard me read it a few moments ago, but let's try something. Why don't we read verse one out loud together? Would you join me? One, two, three. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Now, if you see the words very present, maybe in your Bible you've got a footnote that points you to a word down below. In place of the word very present, we could also find the words well proved. The Hebrew word here has the sense that it is reliable and dependable, but it is also, the Hebrew sense here, it is well present, or very present, well proved, that it is sufficient. That he is enough. Why is that important? I want you to see this right up front. That God is your refuge, What's not your refuge necessarily is relief from your circumstances. It doesn't say relief is your refuge when things get better. It says he is your refuge, he is sufficient, and he is enough because he is your refuge and because he is enough. You can have rest in him whether you have relief from your circumstances or not, that you can be still in him even now. Martin Luther was no stranger to spiritual attack and battle and temptation. He struggled with his own sin and his own unworthiness. And he actually wrote the hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, several years later, about 1527, we believe, was the Black Plague is spreading across Europe, would go on to kill nearly half of the population. Luther has now moved to Wittenberg, and rather than flee the city, he decided to stay in the city. He and his wife, Katie, who was pregnant, they opened their home to people who had the plague. Uh, one of Martin's friends, the man who was his pastor, had a sister who was pregnant. And she became ill with the plague. She was staying at Luther's house. She died only a matter of moments after Luther had held her in his arms. Messed with his head. A couple of his friends, because it was very unpopular to be a follower of the teachings of Luther at the time before they, they were even called Lutherans, uh, his friend Leo was burned at the stake. His friend George was murdered. Messed with his head. Grieved by this, very disturbed by their deaths because he knew he could be next. And so his only solace the word of God. Jump with me to verse 6. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter, he utters his voice, the earth melts. He utters 
his voice. With his strong word, he cleaves, he speaks. Cleaves means to sever the darkness and creates light and life. And with his words to the waves on the sea, two words, Jesus says, be still. Because he has power over creation. And with just a few words to his friend in the grave, he says, Lazarus, come out. Because he has power over death. His words do something. They have a power of their own. And his words do something. Not just then, in the past, but they do something today. That When you hear the words, I love you and I forgive you your sin, those words do something. It's the difference between knowing you're forgiven and hearing someone say to you, I forgive you. And it's the difference between knowing that you're loved and hearing one who you love say to you, I love you. That these words, these words, and these, your words have power, power to do something. And it's the power of God in his word and it's the presence of God by his promise that come together in the next verse, verse seven. So from the power of God to the presence of God, let's look at verse seven. It says this, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our, everybody together, fortress. Lord of hosts here has nothing to do with a tea party. Lord of hosts, whenever you see these words combined together in the Old Testament, it means something much deeper and richer. The Hebrew word here is Sabaoth. It's not the word Sabbath. We've heard that before. To be the Lord of the Sabaoth means that God is the Lord of the angel armies. And it is this Lord and his power and his presence that is with you. And it's not just with you in a general way. See where it says here, the Lord of hosts, next three words, is with us. You see that? It means very literally in the Hebrew, what we find here, if you're reading the Hebrew text, it would say, the Lord of hosts is Emmanuel. Have we heard that name before? But he's not just with you in a general way. To be Emmanuel, for God to be with you, the Hebrew here for Emmanuel means that he's with you in a very personal, physical present way in the present day. This is the Lord of power who is with you. Martin Luther, no stranger to loss, no stranger to death. As I mentioned a few moments ago, his wife Katie was pregnant, and at the end of 19... Or 19 of uh, 1527, she gave birth to their firstborn daughter, Elizabeth. And eight months later, Elizabeth had died. Uh, his friend, Johannes, I mentioned him, whose wife had died in, right after she was in Luther's arms. Uh, they had a son, and he died in 1528. Uh, Martin and Katie had another daughter. Her name was Magdalena. She was born the next year in 1529, and 13 years later, Magdalena had died. And so when he writes the words that we just sang, 
God's word forever shall abide. No thanks to foes who fear it, for God himself, the Lord of the angel armies, fights by our side with weapons of the Spirit. Here it is. Were they to take our house, goods, honor, child, or spouse? Those words came right from here. I can remember singing the words of that verse seven years ago this very month. Uh, as pastors, we get together once a month, and uh, we were at Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, which is less than five minutes away from Children's Hospital, where our second son, Jude, was born, and we had been there for about five weeks already. He had a heart condition that was corrected right after birth, and what we didn't know at the time is that during the procedure, the diaphragm that connects his brain to, or the, the nerve that connects his brain to his diaphragm had been paralyzed. And so he wasn't getting support from his muscles and his diaphragm to help him breathe. And so when they decided to take off the oxygen that he was on, he crashed right away. There were nurses had left the room thinking everything was going to go fine, didn't know what was going on, but there happened to be one resident who just on a whim decided to stick around in the cardiac ICU. Her name is Amanda. I'll never forget her name because she did compressions on his tiny little chest and saved his life. So they weren't sure what was happening. A couple weeks go by, they decide to now he's ready, let's take off the oxygen and let him breathe on his own. He had to go right back on it. The third time, it was the morning, I was singing this hymn with my brothers at Hope Lutheran Church. Not sure how it was going to go this time. And uh, to, I tell you, to sing, were they to take our house, goods, fame, chat, or... I couldn't get through the verse. Now, he's fine, Judas, today. But we didn't know that at the time that he would be today. And you may be fine now. But it's only a matter of time before you're not. And you may be here this morning, you may not be fine at all. How can you be still? And know that he's God. I mean, sure, God, I know you're God. But that doesn't magically make the peace of God appear. You know, I, I tell you, when you're young, it's hard to be still. I don't care how old you are. The older we get, that's still not any different. You may be able to sit at the table for the entire meal without getting up out of your seat. But the older we get, the, I would argue that it's more difficult to be still. It's easy to be busy on the outside in our doing. It is hard to be at rest on the inside in our being to be still. I mean, so sure, he's powerful. And sure, he's present, but how does that bring you the peace of God today? Let's turn to verse 10. 
Because the peace of God that comes from the power of God and the presence of God, there's something that's very easy to miss in verse 10. Let's read it out loud together. Let's, and then we'll close. Be still and know that I am God. Let's keep going. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. All right. If you notice in this verse, it's different than all the other verses of Psalm 46. Every other verse in Psalm 46, 1 through 9 and 11 after, they are words about God. But only verse 10 is a word from God. It's not just a word from God. It's a different, special kind of word. It's a command. It's an imperative. It is God to you saying this morning, be still. Hebrew word here means more than just to be physically still. It means to do nothing. It means to be quiet. It means to let go. To do nothing, to be quiet, to let go. Do you know why peace is so elusive for you? Do you, know, do you know why it's so hard for you to be still? It's because you've made something else your refuge. And you've hooked your heart to something that is so hard to let go of. And it may be your own goodness. And it may, may be your need to have your life go a certain way and your difficulty letting go when it doesn't. It may be your own need to be a certain kind of person, the kind of person who has it together, and your fear of what other people might think of you if you don't. It may be your own need to control the other people in your life, and it may be your regret for what you've done and the kind of person that you think your mistakes have made you. But no matter what it may be, you've made something else your refuge. Let this word of God, not only his promise about his power and his promise about his presence be a word for you today, but let this word of command of be his word to you today. Be still, let go. Which may be easier said than done. Because if you do, if you do let go of the things that have become your refuge, no matter what you may say you believe about God, what else do you have to hold on to if you let go? My friends, you have so much. You have a foundation that can't be shaken. That faith alone is enough. Faith that trusts that grace alone can forgive you and that Christ alone, who is your refuge, was shaken for you. Do you see what he did to be with you? That when the armies of Rome had had circled around him that he could have called down legions of angels from heaven, but he chose not to and surrendered for you. Then as he cried out on the cross, he, as he uttered his voice, there was no help. And as he breathed his last and let go of his spirit, he was still on the cross for you. In the moment of his death, the earth gave way. Creation itself was shaken by an earthquake, and because he has risen, he's in the midst of you today, and he won't let go of you. And by his grace, 
that through the church, God has established places of refuge that are in this room for you today. Right here at this font. You think your baptism is, is a historical thing? 506 years ago in 1517, Martin Luther kicked off the reformation of the church by nailing 95 theses to the door of the church in Wittenberg. And the first of those said this, that the entire life of a Christian should be the life of repentance. That even today for you, even if you're baptized long ago, you tell the devil, you tell yourself when you're not sure if you're good enough, you're not sure if God loves you or if the other people in your life like you, you say, I am baptized. And I belong to Jesus. And at your baptism, the sign of the cross is made on your forehead and your heart to mark you as one who believes and belongs to him. And you are his forever. No one can take that away from you. This is your place of refuge, this font. And it's this table. When you come up here to take bread and wine in your hand, the words, this is my body, those are not empty words. Those words have power. Because he is here, he is present in this meal, more than just bread and wine. They are full of his strength and his mercy and his forgiveness to make you new and give you his power today. These words, that font, this table, and this book is your place of refuge today. Words that convict you about the things you've been holding on to that you need to let go of, that you've found to be your place of refuge, and words that comfort you that he has drawn you to himself by grace to belong to him forever, and that he is your place of refuge forever. Words that have power. May these words, these sufficient words of his power and his presence be your peace now and forever. Amen.